him. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. They spiked it on first down, wasted that. Right. Did I lose you both? Good Lord. All right. This is the press box. Did we just lose Tyler? Oh, okay. Yes, it does. It looks like we've lost Tyler and uh, Ed. Well, this is good. With Graney and Bischoff. Oh, that's great, Jared. On ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, thank you, Jared. I'm an idiot. Haven't lost us both this morning. We're all back. Back in action. Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Gotta love it. Back in Denver. Guys are here. Good job by Candy filling in, I think. You seem very excited. Yeah, this is weird. Like, <laughs> I only had one one of the coffee shots this morning, so usually, I, I, don't, I can't do two. If I did two, I'd be flying off that wall right there. Be you already there, are. Be back there punching the Gruden statue we got in the back of the room. Yeah, what can we? Uh, not what to are do, we? Yeah, what, what are, are we doing? With make Pat? that the first bite, Jared. Play, do, yeah, make let's go that the first bite. bite. Let's go. The first bite. What are we going to do with the four-foot-tall Gruden bobblehead that we have in the studio? Yeah, for those of you that don't know, we have, and we had this before the Raiders were coming here, before Gruden was the head coach. It's John Gruden in his uh, Corona, like, attire. He's got a Corona visor and a Corona shirt on for when he used to do ads for Corona. And, yeah, he's a bobblehead. He's and, huge, though. Yeah, yeah oh, yeah. It's enormous. And, yeah, yeah. This is like a four a, feet. Yeah, four foot tall bobblehead. I don't know. I thought you were stealing it over I, to uh, Raider Nation. I put Nation it in Radio. Raider Nation Radio. I did. And then um, Hugh, who does the afternoon show on Raider Nation Radio, I turn around and he's got it in his hands. He goes, You're not putting this in our studio. Well, does that mean we have ownership and it could be one of our prizes? If we put it this way, if this was gone tomorrow, who would notice? I mean, no chance anyone notices that's gone. I, I don't know if we need to, like, maybe that's one of the few times we need to do off-the-air planning. Where we're like, <laughs> let's, if we're giving away station property. I don't really know if it's station property. I'd love to know I who know originally it brought from. it. No idea. Yeah, but we have a four-foot-tall John Gruden bobblehead that maybe could be yours one day. Find out <laughs> later. Yeah, do you? Well, here's the question. Do you think uh, Rich Pistachio is ever going to have a four-foot-tall bobblehead? No. <laughs> Makes the playoffs, he might. Oh, yeah. Might be six <laughs> feet tall. <laughs> so the Raiders right now are four and two. And because the Bills lost last night, the Raiders are tied for second in the AFC. Now they're tied with the Bills, the Chargers, the Bengals, and the Titans. There's a lot of teams that are four and two. But they're tied for second place. The Ravens are the only team in the AFC with a better record. They're five and one. And that one was the Raiders. We talked about it last week. Their playoff odds were somewhere like 38% or something like that. It's now jumped up to, according to football outsiders, at 51.5% after beating Denver. Uh, eighth best odds in the AFC, by the way. Only seven teams make it. Should we, I mean, how should we frame this team as far as the playoffs go? Because it seems like. You lose your head coach in week five, week six. Uh, it doesn't really seem like this is going to be a playoff team, but they're right there at four and two. I mean, they've, they've got a legitimate shot. So I don't know how we should be framing the rest of the season in regards to long-term goals and playoff goals. I think we have to wait till six and two and see if there's another slide, right? So they I mean, play Philadelphia. What happens? By week and play Giants. the Giants. They could be six and two. They should. Should be should probably be six, six and two. two. They I should mean, be. going on the road's not the easiest thing when you're going to the East Coast, but it's coming off a bye week. Like they probably should be six and two. I listen, if they're six and two, 
I know we've done this the last two years, but there's there's no way they missed the playoffs, right? I don't know. I I want to see him play Mahomes twice and Dallas and and the Chargers again. Like I think it's much tougher in the back end. So I I don't know. I mean, we've seen six and two before, right? Yeah. So and we've seen what's happened. So I I want to reserve judgment at this point to where if they're six and two, it's automatic that they're making the playoffs. I, just, and maybe they are different. Maybe Basaccia and those coordinators bring a different look, and, and they are different, and they make the playoffs. But I still think it's fair to say, you know what? You've had these slides in recent years. You kind of got to prove it. Yeah. You kind of got to prove that you can do it. And, again, to fall into the same trap we've fallen into, they have four wins, and these teams are still left on the schedule. Eagles, Giants, Bengals. Granted, they're one of the four and two teams. Mm-hmm. Washington, uh Denver again, and the Colts. I mean, that's six games right there that they're probably going to be favored in all six of those games, right? I mean, maybe going to... Bengals, maybe not? It's here, so I assume they'll be favored. Maybe going to Indy, they won't be favored on the road, but that's the second to last game of the year. Indy might be done playing for anything. Like, that's six more games, and then, you know, you throw in, yeah, they got to play Kansas City twice, the Chargers again, they got to play the Cowboys again. Like, those are tough games, but it's not like they're unlikely to lose every single one of those games. They'll probably win one or two. Like, there's a lot of wins available on the schedule for a team that, A, I'm not convinced is that good, and B, they they had to change their head coach in the middle of the year. I I just don't know what to do because I kind of feel like they've got a legit shot to make a run at the playoffs here while also feeling like this season is one bad game away from disaster. Yeah. <laughs> like No, I'm with you. I don't I mean, I'd like to sit here and say, "Yeah, I'm absolutely sure they're going to make the plus." I don't think you can say that. I don't know how you can say that. Just because of re- Look, when it's 1 in 17 years, I just don't think you can sit there at any point just at 4 and 2 and say they're going to make the playoffs. If it was 12 and 17 years and they had proven that, yeah, when they get a lead and they get 6 and 2, they close it out and they make the playoffs every year, that's one thing. But 1 in 17 years, I'm sorry. And I know, look, People saying, well, you can't judge them past teams. That's fair. That's fair. You can't judge them, you know, of last year or the year before because it's a different team. And now with Basachi running, you don't really know how it's going to happen in the coming weeks. I'm just always with you when it comes to this team, which is not purposely pessimistic, but just not really completely 100% believing that they're a really, really good team yet. Do you believe the offensive line is better after the game against Denver? Well, they were better the other day. I mean, we'll see. Was their best game of the season? Yes. Still wasn't necessarily a good game, but it was their best game of the season by far for the offensive line. Um, they graded you, out well, actually. Well, well, I mean, it, it's all comparative. Compared right? it's to all what relative. they had been, right? Yes. It's all relative. It's like, all relative. Alex Otherwood's grade was in like the low sixties by Pro Football Focus, which still doesn't make him top half. No, among but the guards, most. but it's better than last, which is what he had been in pretty much every single week before then. I so Derek Carr did not face too much pressure against Denver except when they blitzed, right? When Denver blitzed, he was under some pressure, but that's going to happen. If anytime somebody brings seven, like you're yeah, going to be under pressure. Right? Every offensive line is going to have a tough time blocking seven. But when Denver didn't blitz, Carr wasn't under a lot of pressure. And Josh Jacobs and the running game was better, but still not good. Like Jacobs wasn't getting hit in the backfield. He was at least picking up two or three yards mm-hmm. on every carry. He wasn't getting hit in the backfield on half of his carries like he has been before. That, to me, is probably the biggest key or the biggest sign going forward. Is this offensive line competent? If this offensive line is competent going forward, I think the Raiders can make the playoffs. 
I really do. If they don't get much better from the first five games of the season, if they're still the same terrible team, if we're talking about, well, Alex Leatherwood and Brandon Parker, the two lowest player or graded offensive linemen in the league, I think that's going to still be their downfall. Even when they sit here at four and two, hell, even if they get to six and two, that's probably where they fall apart is if this offensive line doesn't get any better. So if we're saying six and two, we don't know yet because they might slip. I mean, the line is even a bigger mystery. Oh, and then yes. the overall team. Yes. I mean, if they're six and two, the line has to prove a lot more than one game because they were just so bad before the other day. I mean, you're right. That's like the number one concern. Never mind if they even they, they could get to six and two. We could still be saying, well, what's the offensive right. line like? Exactly. They can beat Philadelphia and New York without the offensive line right. doing much. They could do it. They did against Denver right. and win those games. Now, the interesting part on the offensive line being a mystery is Richie Incognito could be back after the bye week. Uh, for the game against the Giants. We've kind of both taken the stance on this show of, well, yeah, when, he, when, when he's out it. there, when he's out there, we'll, yeah. we'll believe it. But he could be back. And if you get Richie Incognito back, and that sort of allows you to have a good left tackle, left guard combo, uh, then you're just trying to piece together at least two other good offensive linemen. I think you can survive if you've got one bad offensive lineman, but can you find two other competent guys out there? Andre James, Alex Leatherwood, and Brandon Parker. It might be like that might be enough. That might be enough to get them over the hump and get them to be, you know, not the 32nd best O-line, but the 22nd best O-line. That might be enough. And if they can get there, the defense has been good enough so far this year that they can be a playoff team. They can get to six and two, and then they can actually finish it off strong enough with just four more wins in the year and get in. Is it bad that we're both probably thinking inside Brandon Parker's got to be the guy? I mean... (laughs) Because of those three, I'm saying Brandon Park. You're saying one on one competent one. Then, of those three, I'm going to say right now he's going to probably have the best chance of being that guy. You, it, I has mean, to, it has I, to be Leatherwood, doesn't no, it? No, it has to. Be. I mean, like they took him. In it the first should round. be. He was a first round pick. It has to be Leatherwood. It if man Leatherwood. Four weeks of failure at right tackle. They kick him into right guard. If he doesn't work out there. I mean, you don't want to give up on a first-round pick after one year, but what are you doing with that yeah. guy? Like, if he if if Leatherwood doesn't work out at right guard, and listen, there there'll probably be some injuries over the course of the year, and he's back to playing tackle right. again. Like, that's that's a high probability with an offensive line. So who knows where he ends up? Actually, let me ask you this: If Colton Miller got hurt right now, who's the left tackle? Oh. Would they move Parker and put Leatherwood back at tackle? Well, oh right gosh. tackle? Didn't I, Leatherwood play I mean, left tackle at Maybe Alabama. they move him out. Oh, boy. You want to see a worried Derek Carr <laughs> coming into his weekly media session on Wednesdays. If that happened, he'd say, I really believe in him. And like the look in his eyes would be like, oh, brother. Foster Moreau is going to play every single snap and not run a single route down the field. Foster Moreau actually blocked really well the other day. <laughs> so maybe he is the answer. He, like, one point, on, one, on one play, he blew up three guys. Like maybe that guy should be the left tackle. So Foster Moreau, yeah, put him at left <laughs> tackle if Colton Miller gets hurt. So you got it, Foster. Figure it out. We'll be the guy I got. saw skipping into the locker room fired up the other day after the win is still the guy that, well, maybe not after this week, but Nick Martin, like clean uniform. Oh, he was excited. <sighs> he was excited. He was just the two, the two guys who were most excited, who ran into that locker room. I mean, they were hooting and hollering were Nick Martin and Marcus Mariota. <laughs> and they had the cleanest uniforms of everyone. Well, listen, all right. If you're a backup at sort of a specialty position, quarterback, center, center. right, you don't play unless the guy in front right, of you gets, gets hurt. hurt. Your entire mood for the rest of the day 
has nothing to do with you. You're performing. You don't perform. So nothing you do impacts the game. You're so you're all, good. You're feeling good about yourself because you didn't mess up. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> but I'm saying like they're in a good mood because the team won. So everybody else is going to be in a good mood. Whereas if the all team right. lost, well, everybody else is in a bad mood. But if you're those two guys, you had no, you have nothing to do yeah. with the win or the loss. This was intrepid, nothing. intrepid reporting know, by it, all of us. I'm good. like, look at Marcus. But I'm just saying, those guys are going to be excited because, hey, everybody else up. is in a good mood. This is great. Whereas, like, Marcus Mariota does the same thing every Sunday. They lose, great. It's a terrible day, and he had nothing to do with it. Right. They win, awesome. Everybody's happy, and I, I had, had nothing, nothing to, to do, do with it. it. So when they win, yeah, of course you're happy, man. He, everybody around he was happy. sprinting into that locker yeah. room. Him and Nick were just like, "Hey, man, do you want to you want to snap the ball to me a couple times <laughs> on the sideline? Just you know, do <laughs> some stuff in the locker room." Yeah, because yeah. listen, you can if your team loses, but like whatever. But Henry, they lose, but Henry Ruggs has five catches for 117 yards. Yeah, whatever. He's sad that he lost. He's still probably like, "Hell yeah, I had five right. catches for 117 yards." If you're Mariota or Nick Martin, you got nothing. Good or bad, so you want if they win, you're pumped. <laughs> oh, they were the pumped. check yeah. clears. Yeah, you're pumped because now every That's again point. everybody's in a good mood around you. Red, good whether point. you do anything the entire day, everybody's in a good mood when you win. All right, coming up next, this is going to be a sad segment. Do we have to talk about baseball? Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know 702-720-4678. Three and nothing to Schwarber. He kicks and he delivers. Swing. There's a long drive to right field. Deep toward the grandstand. Tucker looking up. It is gone into the grandstand. Grand slam. Kyle Schwarber. Six nothing Red Sox. Can you believe it? You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. And the team. You think someone can not give up a grand slam? They're mashing, man. You might just be running to a team that can't stop hitting. I'd like the Dodgers to bar about half their offense right now, the Red Sox, and they might actually have a chance to win a game. Three grand slams yeah, in two goodness. games. No one's hit three grand slams in one playoff series. The, the record in a whole postseason for one team is three. They've done it in two games. They just they, they can't stop hitting. I mean, I don't know what you guys can do about it. Um, now, would McCullers have pitched last night? Yes, and okay, Urquidy, that, just, I mean, and Urquidy, who pitched last night, yeah. would be pitching today. You lose your ace. I mean, it's, it's tough. And if they're going to hit like this, then maybe it's just their maybe it's just their year. It's, maybe it's just their series. I mean, they're this is like historic what they're doing. So just like you you just said, sometimes you just run into a team that is hitting like that. What are you going to do? They've hit twenty home runs in eight postseason yeah. games. I mean, which only tied the record, by the way. Somebody else had hit 20 home runs in eight postseason games. The uh, Yankees with Garrick? No, it was actually the 2004 Astros hit eight oh. or hit 20 home runs in their first eight postseason games. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, like I I told you before the series started, I wasn't too worried about losing Lance McCullers because the Astros had good starting pitching depth. They and they've run, they've thrown three guys out there who in the regular season had an ERA of 3.6 or better. Not one of them has made it out of the third inning, which. Seems impossible. Like, that just sounds like it's not even plausible. But it's happened, and now the Astros have to go to a bullpen day because Zach Greinke's starting, and he is he got hurt late in the year, and they never stretched him back out to be a starter because they're like, well, you're just going to pitch out of the bullpen. So bullpen day, it's not looking good. Series is basically Not the way over. they're hitting. No. 
Not the way they're hitting. Like, surely they're not going to keep hitting grand slams. Surely. That's not no. going to keep happening. <laughs> Those, by the way, are hard. You have to first supposed load the bases. Supposed to be and hard. Then have someone, and then someone a home run. The Astros pitching coach said last night that he thinks his starters might be tipping their pitches. Okay. Which, okay, would make sense because the Red Sox have hit three grand slams in the last two day, two games. But I have a hard time believing that three different pitchers were tipping their pitches. Right? Like, that's hard to believe that they would have, that they'd have three different right. guys tipping their If it was one guy... Yeah, that probably happens all the time in baseball where one guy's doing something with his glove to tip his pitches. But all three seems a little strange. Um, Zach Greinke gives up home runs. He does. Very, uh, he gives up a lot. He gives up a lot of home runs. Give me another home run. How about Kiki Hernandez? My goodness. That guy. That guy's on fire. He's the Randy Arozarena of this I, year. Oh my God, he is! It's like what? A, where'd Keith? Well, I what know did, where I know where he came from. I, what didn't, did I don't show? remember this. Yeah, his uh, his his postseason stats with the Dodgers. He hit like two thirty eight yeah. in the oh. postseason all time with the Dodgers. I don't like that guy at all. I and, like him now. And in the first eight games, his 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 career postseason average has risen from like the two thirties to like two eighty because of what he's done this year. He's in over five hundred in the postseason. Yeah, it's unbelievable how good he's been. It's. Ridiculous. I don't even know what to do. The Astros got to score 15 runs today. Like, they just have to come out and score 15 <laughs> runs. Because here's part of the problem. They're down 9 nothing in the third yeah. inning the last two games. And, like, who cares if you hit a three-run home run? It doesn't matter anymore. The game's over. By the way, I'm mad at Dusty Baker. For, for How can uh, you be mad at a guy whose team is just... No, no, not, not because the Astros I mean, are losing. This is a very J.R. Starkis-esque opinion here. He used one of our best relievers in the eighth inning of a of a nine run game last night. At least he didn't put in a starter the day before. Well, yeah, he could have done that <laughs> the day before a bullpen game, like throw Carlos Cray on the mound. I yeah. don't care. There's you're down nine. Yeah. You're not scoring nine in the bottom, in the top of the ninth. And he put out one of their best relievers. Granted, they had no other relievers to put in the game, but that's exactly why I don't put Alex Bregman in the pitch. I don't care. Like, the matchup we wanted just for this show does not appear this, like it's on. This is, yeah, this is a sad show. Are we even going to talk about the World Series when it's Braves Red no, Sox? No. All right, good. I mean, there might we might make vague references to Cobb County. <laughs> That's about as far as I'm willing to go. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I don't. I, I don't think you can. I'm trying to see who should be more upset. You or me? Because you. I think I should be far more upset because you've just run into a team that's hitting out of its mind. You, right. There's nothing you can do about Braves that. I mean, suck. Yeah, you you took you took down the hold Giants. On. They suck. Braves hold on. suck. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> but no, I think I should be far more upset because if if the Braves were doing this, literally, I'd be like, all right, well, you know, they're scoring ten runs a game, so what are you gonna do? It's just it's you can't do anything about that. But when you lose to two walkoffs, Doc Roberts bullpen management. Oh, what a disaster! What a disaster! Don't put in one of the base, best eighth inning pitchers in all of baseball. Don't do that, Doc. Let's go with the starter and put him in the eighth inning. I just talk about overthinking the room. And this goes back to, and you'll love this, um, they're now run, and they've been run for a while by Tampa Bay, by Tampa. And this is this is Doc Roberts. This is the analytics, him looking at this, and just say Blake Trinan is one of, if not the best eighth inning pitchers in all of baseball, and you're not going to throw him because you because somewhere analytically it told you to put in Julio Urias in that, in that game, a starter who has to start, by the way, uh, game four because it goes Urias. I, I didn't get it, man. I'm just I, I I threw up my hands. I'm like, that's him, and it blew up in his face again. And what do the what do the um what do the Braves do in a tie game? They throw Smith. They throw their yeah. closer. Where was Jansen? I'm I'm curious on the 
Julio Urias, was he prepared to pitch that day? Like, I have no He knew he was pitching game four, so I don't know if he knew. I don't right. know if they told him beforehand, oh, you know, if we're tied in the eighth, right. we might go to you. Because So what happened in the Astros series in game two, Luis Garcia, the Astros starter, got a knee injury in the second inning, and they pulled him and brought in Jake Odorizzi, who's a starter and was probably going to start game four for the Astros. But Jake Odorizzi had no idea he was going to be pitching that day. The rule in baseball is if a pitcher leaves with an injury, the next guy coming in has as much time oh, he as he ma- wants to get to warm loose. up. Right. Jake Odorizzi took like 18, 20 minutes to get warm. And he was like, normally it takes me 30 to 45 to get ready for a start. Right, right. And he's basically getting ready for a start. He had no idea which Dusty Baker blew that by bringing in a guy who was not ready to pitch. I'm, but I'm just curious, Julio Urias, he got up in like 10 minutes. Like he was up in the bullpen the half inning before and then came in in the eighth. And I'm, well, if I'm, he was up, then I assume they say there's a chance. Right. So that's what I'm curious. Like, did they go into that game already saying, hey, Julio, like. You might give us an inning. Yeah, we might need you for an inning, which is I just better. It was, but still, it's it's sort of poor. I think it's I just poor think it's, planning. It's, it's not, and that's the other thing. It's not like you don't have a great pitcher. Like Blake Trinan, right. and I know the night before, okay, he hung a slide. I, I get, uh, but if you go the whole season, Blake Trinan, they, Blake Trinan would be a closer on most teams. Yeah. So I, I don't. That's what I didn't get. He pitched one. He didn't even pitch an inning because he came in and 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 the uh, Braves won the game. They got him on and stole, of course, because um, Will Smith's never going to throw anyone out, <laughs> even though I love Will Smith. Um, I just didn't get it. I'm in the car, like I told you, with Case Keever, and he comes in. The wife goes, they're bringing in Julio. I said, Julio who? Because I knew it can't be Julio Rios because he's starting game four. <laughs> and actually, I think maybe the worst part of all that is he was on two days rest yeah, from game I five. Like, it's not like Julio Urias was fully rested or no. anything. It was two days rest from game five to give you one inning. I mean, work. what's what's Robertson say? Well, it was his throw day. Well, throwing at three in the afternoon on your throw day is a little different than Julio. Yeah. It's tied and we're down 1-0 in the series. You're going to come in yeah. now. It's like, what? Yeah. Maybe had it been like, oh, we're into the 11th inning and the Dodgers are out of relief pitchers. And Okay, if it gets to right. 11th and 12th, whatever. It's, yeah. Heck, you might tell you might tell sure, so I know you threw yesterday, but now you're giving <laughs> us another inning. How's that arm feeling? Coming up next, <laughs> David Roth joins the show. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. We're happy to talk to him. He just seems happy to talk to anyone. David Roth from The Defector is with us on the Press Box. Subscribe to The Distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code DISTRACT for a free month of Stitcher Premium. David, how many more grand slams are the Red Sox going to hit? I mean, what, in the next game? <laughs> <Yes>. No, next <laughs> inning. I, it's ridiculous. I actually stopped watching that game last night just because I was like, I get it. I understand. I see the main idea that you're going for here. <laughs> I still don't understand how they're doing it, but like that is that team has a lot of uh, juice in their direction right oh, now. Oh, nice. Get Tyler, it gives you a reason now. Yeah, well, it's all exact, juiced up. It's Alex Cora. He's never lost a huh? postseason series on the while he's been in the dugout. That you know, and there was that period where he wasn't in the dugout. I forget what that was all about, but yeah, it probably <laughs> was the sort of thing that maybe he just needed to break from all that success. All right, David. How many yeah, times they, they, is... they seem really good though? I, it's like yeah. every year there's a stupid team that like maybe could win the World Series, and like that is definitely, definitely it. Speaking of stupid teams with the Braves, how many times is my guy Doc Roberts going to not tell a starter he's pitching and in the eighth of a tie game say, Julio, you're now pitching? 
that was so strange to me. I the whole they were t- Cora was talking yesterday night about like obviously they didn't need it, but he was like you know Nate Evaldi could give us an inning if we need it, and it's like well why would you need it? <laughs> like the the Roberts bit with using Urias like. I guess if I had Julio Urias on my team, I would, like, put him in all the time, too, just to watch him do cool stuff. But it's really, like, that just seemed kind of doomed. I mean, like, you know, in the moment, of course, it's like, you know, it's a close game. Anything that goes wrong, you know, could be the last thing that goes wrong for you in that game. But I have really sort of struggled to understand the thought process behind that, even given that Urias has pitched in, in relief before. Like, it's not like you know, putting Clayton Kershaw or something in there where the only time a guy's ever pitched in relief is in, like, an all-star game or, like, previous postseasons. Well, the, the uh, good thing that, is yeah, that... Yeah, just didn't seem panicky. Yeah, the good thing is they don't have anyone who's good in the eighth inning other than Blake Trinan, who's probably the best eighth inning pitcher in baseball, so why would you do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, and they had, I guess, had they... Did they use Trinan in the seventh, or was it the sort of thing where they were, like, saving him in case there was extra <laughs> innings? Either way, it was kind of like one of those deals where... I mean, the Dodgers always have a bunch of guys that come through, but there's like there's a mustache guy, there's Joe Kelly, and like all of them are pretty good, you know. Like Joe Kelly could become the worst pitcher in baseball at any moment. That's his charm. But like right now, he's been great. Like the idea that you need to make those sort of like thirteenth inning managerial moves. I guess it's managing in the postseason is hard, but like man, when it doesn't work, it's really like it's hard. It's not like the same thing where like you know different sport, but. The Bills going for it on, like, fourth and half a yard yesterday is the sort of thing. Where, you know, it's easy to understand why a coach would do that. When you see a manager doing something in a pressure situation that, like, just does not make baseball sense, that is some real October stuff, but it's, like, it's much harder to justify. Like, is this, like, was this the first name you saw? <laughs> Starts with a U, I hope not. <laughs> right, I think they tried to like put in like Rick Honeycutt or something like that. And he was like, I don't know, who are the active guys? Like, show me the shorter list. Uh, between, let's see, we got Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, uh, Adam Duvall. Is this like one of the best trade deadlines for any team that the Braves pulled off here? It's incredible, too, because they did the thing that a team does when they, they know that they're going to make the playoffs, but ownership won't really spend money so they just kind of like these are the guys that you would have been able to get back when the old waiver deadline existed is you know whatever Jorge uh, Soler is a similar sort of thing where they're just kind of like the people that hit dingers on bad teams that became available they just like hungry hungry hippos all of them onto the <laughs> roster and somehow all of them turned out great but I mean Eddie Rosario they got for I mean basically for cash like, Jock Peterson was the sort of thing where it's strange that he's at this stage in his career because I remember how good he was just a few years ago, but I think he's just the guy that's going to change teams at the deadline and, like, hit very well in the playoffs. That's <laughs> that's where he's headed. But, like, man, to just absolutely get every one of them right. Again, it's, it's dumb October stuff, but this is, like, the fun dumb October stuff. All right, I'm going to switch gears. I, I hope you saw this story more than anything. Ed Orgeron's out at LSU, but the great thing that came out is uh, he brought his girlfriends, and I say it with an S for plural, he used to bring them to practice and allow their children to take part in drills, and I just love the idea of a five-year-old jumping in like a <laughs> linebacker drill and getting blown up and saying, hey, Billy, go over with your mom. Did you see that? That's incredible. I did not see that he was like putting middle schoolers in the Oklahoma <laughs> drill to impress their mothers. <laughs> That's, I mean, I read that the athletic story on it was like pretty comprehensive, but it was also like there's nothing more embarrassing than someone else's midlife crisis, you know? Because it's, it's 
Well, it's not that he was doing anything that any other, like if you just take a, a random butthead that was married for 20 years and then you give them tens of millions of dollars and they get divorced and suddenly they're very famous. I'm not going to say that a whole lot of that would be different for like 80% of American males, but it is sort of like once you see the details and stuff where, you know, he's at a gas station and just randomly pulls over and is like, I like your yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> Would you, would you like to get in Coach O's truck? And it's just kind of like, that's, like, me knowing about that, I got embarrassed. Like, I don't know what it was like for him. Because that was the scenario that it seemed like got him in the most trouble. That that was, like, some, like, school dean's wife. And she was like, I'm pregnant and married. And he's like, I'm in Orgeron. And, like, that's, like, I hate knowing that. I feel terrible for everyone involved in it. Which uh, MLB manager is most likely to let his 28-year-old girlfriend's 12-year-old son jump in the batting cage against his ace? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what Gabe Kapler's personal life is like, <laughs> but I do feel like he's the sort of guy that if he was in a romantic relationship would want to, like, design a diet for everyone in the family. <laughs> but, like, and that's the sort of thing that, like, seems like a, a good treat, you know? Like, everybody gets their own smoothie with its own ingredients, but I think it, it might wear thin pretty fast. Which manager? Okay, I know what the answer is, so I'm gonna th- I'm gonna disqualify Tony Larusa. But which uh, MLB <laughs> manager is most likely to send emails like John Gruden? That oh boy, I mean, I think the the real answer to me, and he'll be putting them. It's not a manager, but Joe West is going to get a Twitter account like the moment this post, <laughs> and it's going to instantly be bottom five on the entire site. I feel like. Like, really weird, blurry memes that he, like, took a picture of on Facebook on his phone. Like, he took the phone out and took a picture of his own monitor. That's the the level of posting that we're going to get from him. In terms of which Major League Baseball managers are actual, like, cavemen like that, I mean, that is the sort of thing where I'm, I'm really glad not to know it. I can't say that I was surprised with Gruden, but he wouldn't have been my first call necessarily out of any of the NFL guys either. Is it so NFL that they had those since July? Oh, my gosh. I mean, the whole thing has been incredibly NFL. My favorite, like, NFL grace note, just the thing that only they would do and think would work, was the statement that they put out at, uh, like, basically happy hour Eastern on Friday that was just, we've uh, we checked all the emails, and it turns out, like, all the racist guys, they're all gone now. So, yeah. <laughs> like, that is, uh, like, <laughs> do you have, like, I would not lie to my seven-year-old niece that way. <laughs> like, it's just the sort of thing, like, it's checking under the bed for monsters. Like, you look at around the league, like, look in your office. Like, this is every country club Republican beefhead that you could possibly imagine is still there. Like, if they're not like sending forwards to each other that are like, thought you would like this. It is very racist. Like that is, that's a lot of big ticket word cultures are like that. But I mean, I respect them. It's the NFL thing is going for it. It's telling the really obvious lie and wording it. Like it's a police report and just being like, that should be enough for these guys. And then they're consistently shocked when it's not. All right. Maybe it's a generational thing, but ignore all the bad things in John Gruden's emails and just the, the mode of communication do you have or have you had just casual conversations through email with your friends? Oh, God, not for 10 years, 15 years. I mean, like, I, there was a period of time, it's almost impossible for me to remember now because, you know, like everybody else that works for a living, like, I hate email. It's where, like, all of the bad things come in that I have to do, you know, like, any, any other platform is preferable to me. 
But I think before there was social media, that was like how I would get in touch with people. Like if you want to um, sort of like invite three different people to meet you at a bar, like I would just put them all in the CC line. And so like that happened. And I'm sure that if my, whatever, my Gmail ever became subject to discovery, a lot of people would wonder about, you know, like mostly would just, in my case, it would just be punning too much. But I think that there's still like a lot of, you know, no one wants their personal correspondence to become public like that. That said, uh, the work email element of it, the idea that that appeared to be just Bruce Allen's job was just like sitting down every day and like... <laughs> sending specious George Carlin memes to every coach in the NFL. Like what, like out of that part of it, I guess I never really knew what NFL front office executives did, but like that part of it sort of makes sense. Like if they're just there to um, like engage in high handed contract negotiations and send dumb forwards to their buddies, that kind of actually checks out. So we always hear in these situations, Oh, it's a forgiving society. Just let it take time. Let's just let it take time. Does John Gruden ever work in football again? Well, we've had this conversation. I, Drew and I talked about it on the, the podcast last week, and like I, for whatever reason, am convinced that he will. Drew has some idea that he'll wind up on, on Fox and stuff. I don't think he'll coach again, but I think that it was that only the Raiders were really going to want him to coach again anyway. Like I think they're still they're a better team without him. I mean, it was just kind of an antique. But I think that he's a recognizable enough brand at this point that if – he can make a convincing apology, which is a big if, because I just don't think it's a natural movement for him. Like, yeah, I mean, I think in the NFL, he, he would find some sort of work. And I don't think he'll be, you know, what he was. And I think it's the sort of thing where he's actually like, what's going to be required of him here is something that is not going to become, uh, especially naturally to any NFL coach, which is like actually doing inventory and realizing that you did wrong and feeling bad about it. But, I mean, if he can pull that off, like, yeah, this, I mean, look at how many people talk about television at, you know, an hour before kickoff every Sunday. Like, if you snuck him onto one of those Fox sets where it's like 25 guys in suits at a table, <laughs> like, I, it would take an hour for anyone to notice. <laughs> Do you think there's one person that makes those special tables so they can be long enough for every former player that wants to be on TV? I feel like it has to be like somebody that mostly just builds ships, <laughs> but every now and then they get a call where they're like, well, uh, like we're put Howie Long, obviously, you know, is on the show. Like we're getting Kyle and Chris too. So we need another eight feet. Can you, can you do it for us? I remember those early in the, uh, during the, the pandemic when they were still doing the shows, but social distancing. And so it would be like ESPN would have one where it would be like, you know, like Mina Kimes would be there. And then like, a quarter of a mile away <laughs> would be like, you know, Marcus Ware or um, not the Marcus, Marcus Spears. And you just sort of be like, all right, well, that, that seems safe. But like that table is the size of a schooner and it has four people at it. And like, I can barely see each other. Well, he is David Roth from Defector. David, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. Uh, John Gruden, do you think he gets back? Mm, I don't know. I honestly... Is he 56, 58? I'm trying to think of what, what. I don't think coaching. I get that. I get that. I don't know. I because if you're if you're a TV network, you don't need them, do you? No, that's the point. There's enough yeah. guys who can do whatever they would want that yeah. person to do. So, like Mark Davis was convinced he needed him to be his head coach. Right. I don't know that anybody's convinced they need John Gruden to, to do analysts, call games, or be right. on the halftime show or whatever. Right. So. I guess it's plausible down the road, but I'm going to lean towards no. 
All right, so Colin Cowherd has his own podcast network now, so I'm just going to put that out there that the Gruden cast may uh, may appear and Clay like out outkick Clay Travis. You don't think he would start bringing Gruden in for speaking truth to power? I don't think Gruden would show up. Have you seen their their Saturday shows? No, they're just on a folding table by porta potties every week. <laughs> they just follow around Fox's big noon kickoff show, and they're just like off to the side somewhere. I don't think Gruden's showing up for that nightmare. Coming up next, the AAC is expanding to Charlotte. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. That was Jimbo Fisher, who is currently the head coach of Texas A&M, answering a question about the LSU job now being open since Ed Ogeron will be gone at the end of the year. And I don't know if I've ever heard someone blatantly trying to convince themselves that they're going to stay at Texas A&M like I just did with Jimbo Fisher. Or trying to convince the AD to give him more money. (laughs) I love the S at the end of rant. The ES ranch is like, I'd like to have one ranch. Jimbo appears to have more than one ranch. So he's doing pretty well for himself and he gets to hunt. Who cares if you have ranches? If you make the money he does, you can have ranches anywhere you go. Right. You can have and, anything you want. And here, here's the thing on the ranches. He's not going there on a random Wednesday after practice, is he? I it has to I that's an it's just the thing. off season. Yeah. He goes so who, to his ranches. Doesn't matter where you coach. You could coach in Alaska and still go to the ranches ranch. in the off season. Yeah. Like I I've never heard somebody's trying to convince themselves more. Then I just heard Jimbo Fisher trying to convince him. Not not other people. That was not him convincing other people. That was him trying to convince himself that he's going to stay at Texas A&M. Because here's the thing. If you're Jimbo Fisher, if LSU wants to hire you, you'd be an idiot not to take yeah. it. You'd be an idiot yeah. not to take it. LSU, Les Miles and Ed Ogeron have won a national title at LSU. Those guys are not good coaches. If you're a competent coach, you can win a national yeah. title at LSU. Can he win one at Texas A&M? Probably not. Do you think uh, he was more he was more stern about that because he beat Alabama and the whole cliche as well? If he can beat him there, why do you have to go somewhere else? I agree with you that he should take the LSU job, but they just beat the team that supposedly no one can beat. So is there the sense that well we beat him here? Why why would I why would I move if I can beat him here? Because he lost to Mississippi State two weeks well, before. Like I mean, yeah, that'd do it. I, <laughs> like, I'm I'm with you that you take the LSU job. It's a much much better job. If they were undefeated and beat Alabama, then maybe, but they're not. And LSU is a better program than Texas A&M. Absolutely. And LSU, you're more likely at LSU to, hey, you beat Alabama to get to 7-0, and and now you're ranked number right. one in the country. Right. Where at Texas A&M, he beat Alabama. And he's awesome, lost twice. But he's already lost twice. And he the, beating Alabama got them back into the top 25. They're not even in the top 20. That got him back into the top 25. Whereas if you're at LSU and you beat Alabama, you're probably 6-0 and or something like that or whenever that is. So you're good to go. Um, I, you, you're I mean, they the can't help you at LSU with your foundation. I think they could. I think any. I think anyone who would get them right now would probably say, "And we'll help you with the foundation." Any LSU booster that wants Jimbo Fisher listening to that was now has a checklist of things. Like, All right, Jimbo, we can help you with your foundation. We can get you some more ranches that are close. Jimmy's going to gonna home sell you his want. ranch for a, like, for a steal. There's just a checklist there of things, and it's like, yeah, we can we can do all of that. There's yeah. nothing on there we can't do. I enjoyed the I hunt here 
Yeah. Dude, do you have you been to Louisiana? <laughs> you well, can hunt. And the other thing is, if you absolutely love those ranches and you have your horses and you can hunt, then keep them and go back in the off season. Like, people do that. Louisiana's like, pretty I close mean, to Texas. Yeah, I've read, like, three stories for, for every reason that Saban always brings up as lake houses. And the one thing he says is, my daughters will never let me sell them because of our grandkids. So, and I don't know where these lake houses are, but it's like, you... They're not on campus No, they're not on campus. So, it's like, they're probably somewhere else. And in the offseason, his kids go and use yes. the cabins. I mean, <laughs> it's like, the lake houses, it's one of those things, like, you can have whatever you want with your money anywhere. Anywhere you want, Jimbo, with the money they would pay you to leave now, you can have whatever you want. Last 30 seconds. UNLV's sideline slot machine is? The best thing that's happened since Marcus Arroyo got there. All right. Everybody's on board. Arroyo yesterday. What about his hat? Arroyo yesterday, his press conference, he was talking about it, and he said, some people think it's dumb. Who thinks it's dumb? I was dumb? like, who? I haven't seen one negative thing about what, it. He, Not one. Yeah. Is there a chance he was talking about you? No, because I love the thing. <laughs> yeah, but he probably ha- maybe he just assumes that just I assumes. think it's dumb. He just assumes you think it's dumb. It's the best thing ever. I love it. It's phenomenal. Nobody thinks it's dumb.